Welcome to the Fire Church Podcast. Today we pray Holy Spirit will speak through this message and into your life right where you are. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together, God, in safety and peace. Lord, I pray that we don't take it for granted that we live in a society that is relatively free. But we're losing that as we are being lulled to sleep and comfort. I pray that that you wake us up, God, and to stand up for your name. God, I commit today to you, Lord, and I pray that you will speak to people, bring freedom to them, Lord, set people free, cause them to, to be able to see you in a greater way and to walk in a greater amount of freedom. Help us, God, to, to manifest your image and your likeness, God, and to be a shining light to this dark world. And last of all, God, help me to deliver your message. Speak through me, Lord. And also confirm the word with mighty signs and wonders, God, because that's the way you designed it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, the title of today's sermon is Jesus, the Lover of My Soul, Part 2. A few weeks ago, I started a, a sermon that was quite stretching. I didn't want to deliver it because normally I think that when you deliver a message, it should be relatively easy to come up with the message. Uh, but that one was a bit of a struggle and, and every time I wanted to change it, God just spoke and got me to, um, to deliver that message. And then today, I mean like this week as I was preparing it, I've got about six confirmations. I had uh, a prophet, Rob DeLuca, just actually putting a, a prophetic word about turning victors from victim into victors. And this is actually a word that I remember a long time ago, this guy by the name of Georgian Banoff uh, prophesied over me while we were in, a, I think, in an Ebdale Community Center. And he says, Lee, you will turn victim into victors. And back at that time, I didn't really know what he meant. And boy, uh, do I know it. Because after that word, I start encountering... Um, people with, with codependency and people with victim mind, uh, mindset and who are stuck. Okay. So all of that is an introduction. All right. Do we have the slides? Hallelujah. How do you like the slides? <laughs> all right. Next slide, please. So I'm going to begin this sermon with the story in, um, in the book of Acts chapter 8. So in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was given and Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel and heal the sick. So they had a revival in Jerusalem. 3,000 got saved in the first day and then thousands are being added unto the Lord. So they had a good old revival meeting in Jerusalem. It went continuously for, I don't know, many hundreds of days and they forgot what Jesus told them, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So persecution breaks out. Um, the disciples were scattered. Philip, who was one of the ushers in the church, just traveled through an area and then as he was traveling, he saw a, a eunuch that was in his, a eunuch from Ethiopia, uh, one of the royalties, one of pretty high up. And he was reading a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And then Philip overheard him reading. 
And then he came along and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And then Philip, okay, I'll join from verse 35. And he says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch says, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Okay. So the eunuch was preach Jesus. So Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch. The eunuch then said, what stops me from being baptized in this puddle of water? I start asking myself the question, how many people have you shared the gospel with and the result of you sharing Jesus with them wants to get baptized? Are you following me? I haven't done that many either. So it's not a condemning word, but it's, it's shaking up what I understand about the scripture and what it means to share Jesus to people, isn't it? So Philip shared Jesus to people and the result of Philip sharing Jesus is that the, the eunuch goes, I must get baptized. So is it safe to say that the, that the message of baptism is included in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yep. Okay. Then I ask God, like, all right, give me uh, some evidence. So we go to the next slide, which is Acts chapter 2. This is Peter. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 39. This is after the, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 men and women and children got saved. So he says, Therefore, so Peter got up and preached, and he says, Let all of house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, full of grace there. It's like this Jesus who you crucified. Go, Peter. Both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter just went the whole way. It's just believe in Jesus, get baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's no five weeks course, it's just one sentence. Right, five minutes. So the whole point is that there's always a, a, a discussion. Do we need to get baptized to get to heaven? And the answer is, I don't believe so. You don't need to get baptized to go to heaven. And we see that with the, with the thief that are on the cross. He believed in Jesus. He says, like in you know, a Lord, when you enter today, when you enter into paradise, do not forget about me. And Jesus says, you will enter this very day. So you, you don't need to get baptized to get to heaven. But I believe baptism is about getting heaven into you. And last week I read it. And in Romans chapter 6, we had baptism last week. And we shared about how, um, you know, when, when you are being baptized, you are joined onto the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You died with Him on the cross. You are buried with Him. And you are resurrected with Him. You following me? All of that is symbolic of the death of the old person. 
and the resurrection of the new person. Then in Acts 1.8, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on this topic is because I've actually been sharing the gospel on and off for about 16, 17 years. And I've seen people on the street that, as a matter of fact, we went out evangelizing uh, last week with the interns to Paran, and I met someone that I've been ministering to from Geelong, in the days of Geelong. And by the looks of things, he's still on drugs. And so I've seen this where people, you know, you share the gospel with people and they say, you know, don't worry, brother, I am born again. But they're still alcoholic. They're still on the street. They're still on the drugs. I'm not condemning them, but it didn't, the, the gospel really didn't do too much for them, right? That's just what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, your life didn't change too much because of the gospel. When I believed in the gospel, everything changes for me. I got zapped, right? I, I was on drugs heavily for two years. I was on ice, like on this drug ice. <laughs> Old joke, dancing on ice. And it's too hot for the joke, isn't it? Anyway, I used to go to, um, <laughs> the blank faces are funny. Real gracious there as well. On fire. I used to go to rave clubs and you take drugs and you dance for like three, four days. That's why I call it Dancing on Ice. It's a TV show as well. Forget it. This is not taking off. So, is it safe to say that the whole gospel is about transformation, right? Do you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Not really, but you do need the Holy Spirit to be a witness on the earth. There's always a saying, it's like if the whole point of salvation is going to heaven, then we should shoot people after they accept Christ. It's like, well, if it's the, the point is to go to heaven, then it's like after you accept Jesus, it's like, bang. Then that way they can't continue. Because if there's no point, then you got, oh, the only thing you're going to do is to go back into sin. Are you with me? So giving it, so if it's about being a witness like Jesus said, Acts 1.8 is about you shall receive power from on high, then you shall be my witnesses. What if the point is not about going to heaven? And what if the point is about being transformed and about releasing heaven on the earth? Which is what Jesus said from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? And then as we look at Revelation 22, we're going to see that heaven descends from heaven once again. So that's point number one. Hallelujah. We are going well. Next slide, please. Now, in the world... What we see, there's, there's a problem, right? There's alcohol addictions, drug addictions, smoking addictions, sex addiction, food addictions, and other things, and perfectionism. I included perfectionism because um, there's some respectable sins, traits, that people would not judge as evil and may not think um, that they need to deal with it. 
But I'm going to show you, hopefully, that there are mechanics behind that that are the same. See, religion, we call it religion, it's the, it's the tree of knowledge, good and evil. It's concerned with about being good and not being bad. Some people think that Christianity is about be good, accept Jesus and now you be good and don't be bad, right? But the problem with that is that this is what happens. We were sinner before we came to Christ. We accepted Christ. Now all we become is sinner who's been forgiven, but now we have to do good and not be bad. And I'm going to show you that that is actually not the gospel. That's the Old Testament. So underneath all of these addictions is something else. Next slide, please. And there's a doctor by the name of Kaufman. He invented, he coined the term. It's just something he observed. It's called the Kaufman Drama Triangle. And the Kaufman Drama Triangle has three players in it. And those players are not exclusive. You can gravitate towards a point, but it doesn't mean that you stay there exclusively because you can move around a little bit, right? And then I've been looking up uh, some uh, talks by psychologists and they say that like when they measure this thing, they actually get you to fill a survey and they ask you on a scale of one to a hundred, it's like, how do you feel about this point? And so you can actually measure yourself. And so you get... You can be zero, which is pretty healthy, to up to 100, which is debilitating, okay? So, and this is really brief. I'm not a psychologist, not trying to be a psychologist, but it's just, I'm just highlighting a, a problem. So, point one, the victim mentality. They see themselves as victim of others and environment. They seek to manipulate others into loving them by always having a problem. And, and by the way, I don't want us to be mini psychologists and start diagnosing each other. This is a sword that you apply to yourself. If you want to see professional help, I advise you do so, but it's, it's pick the log out of your own eye before you pick a speck in another, okay? I don't want us to start going at each other. They do not believe that they can do anything by themselves. Seize the pity of others as love Constantly talk about problem so that others will help them connect well, connect well with their enabler. Yep. You might be thinking, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a little bit like this or I know someone like that. Okay. So next slide. The rescuer or the enabler. All of this is rooted in, um, in, in childhood neglect or abuse and or abuse. Like what happens is, it's like they, they come to this term out of um, studying people, um, families that, are, that have alcoholic parents, one or the other. And so there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of issues in the, in the family. And so, you know, for a little child, being there like a little young and primitive, I call it primitive in their thinking, they're not, they can't think complicated thoughts. Right? For example, if they have a mother that is in depression and and neglect them, not because they want to, but because the mother has depression, they don't think that, oh, my mom has issues, she needs to go see professional help. They would go, my mom doesn't love me because there must be something wrong with me. And or they go, I must try harder. And so they walk around trying to keep the peace, trying to cheer family up, but inside what it does is that it instills the belief that they are not valued 
and they are worthless. Are you following me? Yep. The rescuer or the enabler has a deep sense of shame and unworthiness, just like the victim, feels responsible. So the same trauma can cause a person to react differently. And there's three reactions, the fight, the flight, or the freeze. Feels responsible for the mood of others, learned from home, or have been ex abused, uh, exposed to abusive narcissists. Will help a victim, but at the same time, does not want the victim to heal, because then the victim does not need them anymore and would feel rejected. So this is where they get the, the enabler. So they help someone, but the motive of them helping someone is to not make them healthy. It's because it's satisfying their need to be needed. So I need to be needed, and so I help you because you need me. But it's a really toxic helping because I don't want them to be healthy because when they're healthy, they don't need me. And when they don't need me, I feel rejected. This is where the codependency, that the victim is the dependent. This is the codependent. This codependent position also hooks well onto the, the, last, the last slide, the bully or the narcissist. Okay, again, with all of these positions, right, it can be from very light to highly debilitating. With the narcissist thing, I have discovered that you can actually move across onto a whole nother level, which is the psychopath. But that's another, again, that's another story. So you can have traits of this, but not be full on what, you know, those labels, okay? At the highest range, the narcissist can be classed as, by the psychologist, as narcissist, uh, I don't know, NPD. Something, something, I don't know what it stands for, but it's NPD, it's narcissist something disorder. Derived from the Greek mythology about a man who fell in love with his own reflection and then died. Has, usually has grandiose fantasy of oneself as a defense mechanism against inner emptiness. Has low to no empathy towards others. Has a sense of entitlement because of their ego. Has a need for admiration as a need as that ego. And what it is, is the ego is that it's a need, it's a cry for love. They didn't get enough love when they were young, so they grew up grabbing love. Are you following me? I know this is kind of heavy for a hot day. Connects well with the enablers. As I, the reason I learned about all of this is, again, Georgian Banoff gave me that prophecy when I started becoming a, being a, you know, start, being a pastor. Then I moved to Geelong. Hi to Geelong people, by the way. If you're watching, God bless you. They're on the other side of Geelong, by the way, so it's not Melissa. Um, I was in a place called Corio, and without me knowing the, the game, I just, we were ministering to the really broken, to the drug addicts, to the mentally ill, um, to the alcoholics, and they all just came into church and we didn't have enough healthy people. So these people came into the church and even those who seemingly are healthy came in and they start doing the codependency dance with me. And because I didn't know what the name of the game is, I played it with them. 
Like for example, a vic- someone with a victim mindset is because when they were young, they just been shut down all the time and then they, they develop a, a defeatist mentality. It's like, I can't do anything, I can't help myself. And so they, they find that when they pr- project, when they tell their sob story, which is a sad story, they find that they get self-pity from people and so they keep telling everyone their sad story but they don't have the intention to change. And so they keep having sad stories. But I already showed you with that scripture that I start off with, the whole gospel is about change. The whole gospel is about transformation. I had someone in Geelong, he says, he's, oh man, he's an amazing guy. He says, Lee, nothing changes if nothing changes. I know that's like obvious, but it's so true. The person with the victim mindset think that they don't have to change. They go somewhere and they're looking to be rescued. And they take that to church if they're not renewing their mind. So what they do is they have dysfunctional traits, dysfunctional belief. They come to church and they think that God is a codependent rescuer. And they go, pray this prayer for me and fix everything in my life without me needing to change. And then two weeks later, they're back again with the same problem because nothing changes. And nothing changes if nothing changes. If you believe a certain way, think a certain way, act and speak a certain way, you're going to get the consequences of that certain action. You can't come to God without having change and then praying and hoping that God will solve your problem for you. That's why nothing changes if nothing changes. The whole gospel hinges upon us changing. Right? There's someone that says insanity. What is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Are you with me? And so... I am pleading with you, change. I, (laughs) thank you. I played this game with someone for seven to eight years. I did every trick in the book. And the reason we played that long is because I was a young pastor. I didn't know what I was doing. Right? And I thought the reason they're not healed is because I'm stupid. And so I kept searching, 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 searching until one day I'm like, I think I've done everything. (laughs) The clue was one day I had this friend, he's a great demon caster. When he got saved, he heard the audible voice of God that says, set my people free. And he had this amazing ability to cast demons out. If you've got demons in you and he's telling it to come out, it's coming out. It's just he was like, just got this authority. Amazing. And he's telling me stories about, you know, he's had people that ran sideways in a wall. This Maori guy was like trying to do a deliverance and then the guy just manifested and he ran sideways like the Matrix, like on the wall. And then the guy just fell before him and he cast a demon. And then he asked the guy like, what happened? He goes, the minute you start praying for me, I got really angry and I just wanted to kill you. And so I just ran towards you. He goes, did you know you ran sideways in the wall? He goes, nah. I was just filled with anger and I wanted to kill you. And then he goes, what happened? Then what happened? He goes, you blinded me. It's like you said something and then God took out my eyes and I fell to the ground. And that's it. And the next thing you know, he wakes up, the demon's been cast out. 
So the whole point was, I remember inviting my friend to church and he was trying to cast a demon out of this girl because we thought it's a demon. And he's got her praying and she was laying into his groin. She was like, whack, whack, giving uppercut, like full on uppercut into his genitals. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's the least of the stories I can come up with. Then, then I went to lunch with my friend and he goes, Lee, he said, in 27 years, no demons has been able to lay hands on me. That girl is not, is, has got a demon. She's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I've been suspecting that. Derek Prince also mentioned is, he has, this is why I sort of, I kind of pull back a bit from that moment because it's like there's people that are so broken that they think that they, they blame, and that's the thing with, with this codependency, it's someone else's fault. The thing with someone else's fault is someone else has to change. Right, it's like, it's like offense. It's like I am the way I am because someone else did this to me. And so for me to be healthy, someone else has to change. But guess what? Everyone's got their own problems. You can't get someone else to change so I feel better, which is the mechanics of offense. Offense is someone did something, it makes me feel angry. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay angry till someone says sorry. But guess what? Most people are in their own problem, got their own world, and they don't say sorry. So what are you going to do when they say sorry? You're going to be stuck in that problem, in that state forever. Hello. So that's why forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for yourself. Forgiveness is you. Give the Lord praise. Oh, that's okay. Forgiveness is you releasing the other person so you can be free and move on. It's about being powerful. Unforgiveness is a posture of weakness. Okay? To, to be a victim is a posture of weakness. Because you're, you're saying, I am the way I am because someone else did it to me. So for me to be powerful, someone else needs to do something. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Yeah? Whew. Moving along. Next slide. I've watched someone did a, did a therapy. I watched a psychologist did a, like a live therapy on someone. And underneath the codependency triangle is this thing called complex trauma. I also learned about PTSD. I discovered that PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Traumatic stress. Did you know that some people reckon that after 21 days you can rewire your brain? To form a habit it takes about 21 days at least. Traumatic stress disorder is what happens when there's stressful situation over periods of time. What happened, like for example, it happened over 10 years. 10 times 365, 3,650. So that causes your brain to rewire itself to the state of survival. So when, so when you're getting sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, or emotionally neglected, as a little child, what happens is they go inwards and they go, they can't go, that's wrong. They go, oh, 
these bad things are happening to me because there's something wrong with me. Let's say the marriage breaks up, dad moves away, and it's like, oh, dad moves away because dad doesn't love me, because there's something wrong with me. And so this, it gets ingrained into a person, and it, after the years, it could happen in like, in the, that's why the first four, five years is really crucial. If you get 10 years of love, it's amazing. And by the way, this goes against evolution, because evolution says all you need to do to survive is give them food and water. But a human being without, being, without getting love, will grow up very, very damaged, which plays into the narrative of the Bible, because we worship a God who is love. We were created by love for love. Yeah? And without being love, we grow up damaged. We grow up withdrawn. In my case, I got bullied ever since I was about 11. And so, you know, there's, there's three types of reactions, fight, flight, or freeze. I've discovered that when I get bullied, I punch people in the face, and that usually solves the problem. And you're like, you laugh, but it does work. It did. It solved a lot of problems. And so that went on. And even as a pastor, then I encountered, now I know it's a narcissistic, it's like a Jezebel thing. I threatened to kill him because that was my tool at solving all my problems. And for a season, it kind of worked. Up until I ran into three other Jezebels in a row in two years. And that's when I said, God, what is going on? I'm like, you don't meet this many in that short place of time. And the reason for that was, they were attracted to me spiritually and God was trying to remove something. And so I failed the test and that's when I dealt with that, that whole, okay. So the whole point was I got saved in 2005, but it took many, many years for me to renew my mind and undo a lot of the damages that I did to myself. Are you with me? So the whole thing is about change. Complex trauma. Complex trauma is caused by traumatic or high stress situation over long periods of time that causes a person to be in a fight, flight, or freeze mode, and because of the extended periods of time, causes the brain to rewire itself in a survival mode, causing the trauma to be locked within the brain and the body. Ayo, hello, hello, hello. They found that in the West, the most um, common source of complex trauma is emotional neglect. You get all the material needs, that you need, but your parents are just not responsive enough. And again, it causes the person to feel unloved, unvalued, unwanted. So there's, there's a few different reactions. Some people can go into pride. They, they boast. There's like, because they feel unloved, unwanted, so they keep telling everyone, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. Or they work really hard and they earn lots of money and go, look what I have. Look, I, I feel worthless, so look what I have. Hello, covetousness, right? So, or some people can go into food. It's like, I feel worthless. I, I actually know a person got sexually molested when they were young. And so their response for that is to become really overweight because it's like, I'm going to eat myself so you don't abuse me. It's like a defense mechanism for a little child. It's a real childish response to it. They go, I become fat, so you won't touch me. But at the same time, we all crave love. So she's needing love, but afraid of love. Are you with me? Then becomes aggressive, got this anger inside of them, but at the same time, too man-pleasing to express it. 
So they become passive aggressive, angry, but man pleasing at the same time. They're two different things. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Moving right along. Next slide. <laughs> the solution. That's actually meant to be a Bible. Next slide, please. Is this all right? I have discovered that there's this thing called, I looked, I researched about cures or therapy for codependency, and I found a few. And one of them is the best one. It's called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's this evidence-based psychotherapy healing technique that explores the relationship between your thoughts and moods and behavior. Cognitive means the process of thinking and reasoning. So the way you treat, like for example, depression, is psychologists have found the link between your thoughts and your moods and behaviors. But I've done, uh, I'll, like I watch a live session in this, and they go one step further into subconscious core belief. I know this is pretty heavy, eh, for a... Uh, are, are you guys all right with this? Yeah. Underneath thought patterns are actually subconscious core belief. And this subconscious core belief, the therapist, because it's subconscious, sometimes it's locked within us, affecting everything we think, say, and do, but we don't actually quite aware that we're doing it and affecting us. So CBT works by identifying, tackling, and changing unhelpful thinking so that your mindset, behaviors, and overall well-being improve with practice. And they found from this uh, journal that I was looking at, they see between 50 to 75% success rate. So they have discovered, psychologists have discovered that by changing our thought patterns, you can heal depression or see it improve. I'll say that again. By changing your thought patterns, you can improve. You can, you can get some relief out of depression, anxiety. Next slide. The good news is, God has been in the business of changing thought patterns for the last four and a half thousand years. God says to Joshua, this book of the law, instruction, Torah, shall not depart your mouth, but you shall meditate. The word meditate means to ponder, to imagine, imagine, imagine. Imagination is powerful. If I think about something that someone did to me that makes me angry and I keep thinking about it, I can make myself angry. Or I can think about good thoughts and I can feel happy. Yeah? Four and a half thousand years ago. Isn't that amazing? I looked up uh, the psychologist, they charge $220 per session, which is about 50 minutes. And they say you need about 10 sessions to see improvements. Or you can just follow the Bible. I'm not, hey, 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 hey. Um, having said that, some people are pretty messed up uh, and need uh, professionals because it's just so heavy that it's a big, it's like spaghetti, right? And this is where I say to Pastor Alex, I'm an evangelist. Don't bring that stuff to me. <laughs> okay, next slide. And then, 2,000 years ago, Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind, 
that you might prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. God wants you to not meditate on your history, and he wants you to meditate on his story. It's not about what happened to me. It's about what happened to him. And you need to renew your mind and do it repeatedly because what happened to you was done repeatedly, consciously, subconsciously. And so if you've been living a certain way, like for example, 10 times, 365, 3,000 something, you know, I find in my journey, I actually, um, God told me that I had PTSD before coming to, to here, to, to Karim Downs. And it took me roughly about um, a year and a half of journaling and listening to God, taking my problems to Him, that I find relief. Um, you know, I find that I'm probably not 100% healed because the comparison is not against even the old you or each other. The comparison is Jesus, the chief cornerstone. He is the person who we are created in the image and the likeness of. Chief cornerstone is the cornerstone that every other block is made in the, in the size of in the dimension of. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So the standard is Jesus. Are we loving like Jesus, not comparing it to each other? Are you with me? And because psycholo- now I found a language because some psychologist says that, you know, if, if someone got PTSD, they can, they, can be, they can start off at a nine or a 10 and then they go down to a seven or a six. They think they've been fully healed, but everyone else around them is saying, no. Yeah? Because what happens is, with this kind of stuff, oh, I'm, I'm calling out the big guns, it gets stored in your amygdala. Amygdala oblongata. It's this part of your brain and it stores emotion. And so when you do something that reminds you of a traumatic event, your brain, without you thinking, sends you to that time and place. This is why people lose it and overreact. You, you know, if it's encountered, maybe you've done it. Someone does something little, but it sends you back to that trauma and then you blast them as though you're blasting that trauma. Have you, have you done that? <laughs> this is why we need to get this um, addressed. All right, next point, last point. Summary. It's all about transformation. Baptism is not about getting wet, it's about transformation that comes from being joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not about going to heaven, it's all about getting heaven into you. Yeah? The name of the game is transformation. It's not about going to heaven only. Although you do get to heaven, but that's not the goal. Every brokenness in the world comes from the lack of love and the traumatic experience that we experience. I remember in my journaling time, I coming to God saying, God, so-and-so said this to me, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And then you know what his response was? But I love you. And at that moment, I realized the reason I'm complaining to God is because I didn't feel valued. And God says, so what if they don't value you? Here I am, the king of the universe, looking at you all the time, loving on you. While you were still sinners, I died for you. I loved on you. I made a way for you. When you get to heaven, you're going to see that none of these people are mad at uh, I remember seeing a vision during my journaling time. It was a banquet hall and I walked in. On one chair was, 
on one table was Reinhard Bonnke and Bill Johnson. And everyone was around him trying to, trying to speak to Bill and, and Reinhard. And I thought, I had Justina and Isaac with me and I came into the hall and I'm like, I could try sitting in that table, but they don't know me and I'd be like, like an idiot going, hey, look at, look at Bill, Bill, hey, Bill, look at me. And I thought, ah, oh, stuff this. And on the other table was Jesus sitting there by himself. And then he looked at me and he goes, hey. You know, because I've been hanging out with him. And so I thought, Bill and Reinhardt doesn't know me. I'm just going to go sit with Jesus. So I sat down next to him. And then I can hear a dinner bell. Like the dinner, the dinner was about to start. Ding, 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 ding. And then guess what happened? Bill and Reinhardt got up from the other table and sat in the table with Jesus. And then the vision ended. People sometimes trying to get their admiration and the clamor and they're, like, and they're trying to get the love of people and neglect the love of the king of the universe that is just waiting for them. Without, again, without parental love, the applause of a million will not satisfy you. But with the parental love, the criticism of a million will not bring you down. All of us live in a broken world. They cry over spilt milk. I finally discovered what that meant. I've got a little two and a half. He's, he's trying to pour his cereal, misses it and starts crying. Like full on hysterical. I'm like, huh, is that where the saying comes from? <laughs> Don't cry over spilt milk. He's just bawling his eyes. I'm like, just milk, man. Anyway. I know someone that is rejected by their mum and then they spent the rest of the time trying to get what they can't have. And the, the truth is God wants to replace that with his love. Are you with me? So that's, we're going to open up a space in about five minutes where you can come. And by the way, we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe if there's any spiritual things where you feel like you're like really rejected and there's spiritual forces at play, we're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe, I've been praying for this. God wanted this message delivered. I believe people are going to get set free. We had a vision from Lynette saying that this anvil being lifted up, so there's going to be heavy burden lifted today. So we're going to believe the power of God is going to be here. But here's the thing. If nothing happens to you, I'm going to believe that it's not spiritual, that the problems and the issues and the anger you're feeling is actually a discipleship issue and not a spiritual issue. Because nothing changes if nothing changes, right? If we don't renew the mind, that wrong belief will cause us the pain. You need to replace it with God. We're going to pray for people later on and we're going to believe there's any spiritual things attached to it. It'll be gone by today. But if it's not, then perhaps look at this as your answer and not more prayer. Are you with me? But we can't close every, any service without giving a chance for people to accept Christ. Next slide, please. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. It says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Can I get the keyboard please up? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and circumcision of your flesh, He has made a life together with Him having forgiven you all trespasses.
This is what it means when you accept Christ. God loves you so much, He's made a way for you to be forgiven. But when you accept Christ, it is not only the forgiveness of sin. He says what happens is baptism is likened to circumcision. I know this is a bit gory, but God made it up, okay? Circumcision is the cutting off of the foreskin. Your old life, God calls the piece of foreskin. So you throw it away. You don't keep it on. Some guys go, <laughs> But that's what it is. When you come to Christ, your old you is circumcised. It's a piece of rotting flesh that's got nothing to do with you anymore. You throw it out. But then you go, how come I don't change then? Because the name of the game is about the renewing of the mind. If you've been living 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, however long, a certain way, please don't think that you're going to be changed completely in two weeks. Hello. It's about, it's about ongoing transformation. I got zapped by God. I used to be a drug addict. I was angry, didn't know how much issue I had till I come to Christ, until I had to become love. That's when I discovered how not love I am, how not loving I am. So I got zapped, I got set free, but it's still an ongoing process. Are you with me? So this is why you need to come to church and not simply pray a prayer and then go back and do whatever you're doing. It's believe in Jesus. This is what you're believing in. You were co-buried, you were co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected. Then you get baptised as the evidence that you believe in these things. Then receive the Holy Spirit and be empowered to live as a brand new creation. Can I get every head bow, every eyes closed, please? Is there anyone in this place? who wants to begin this journey of walking with God. Jesus walked around and didn't say, pray this prayer. He says, come and follow me. And it's true, if you, if you pray this prayer and you get born again, you will go to heaven should anything happen to you. But it's more than that. I looked at my life and how blessed I am. I was a mess before coming to Christ. But ever since then, it's been coming together. It says, the Bible says, the path of the righteous, like the going of the sun, it gets brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. And my life is just rising and going up and it's getting better and getting better. I have a family, I have a roof over my head. I have a, a church that I love. I have a job that fulfills me. I, am a, I know a God that is just so amazing. It's more than praying a prayer and going back to my drugs and alcohol. It's about a new life. So if you'd like to give up that old life, lift up your hand right now. And thank you so much. And God will touch you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Anyone else? And if you still habitually sin, right? Praying this prayer doesn't, really change anything because it's about discipleship it's about the renewing of the mind it's about discovering how God has set you free and continue to live out of that new identity and not out of the old so if that's you last chance I feel like there's about one more anyone else like to give their life to Jesus 
All right, let's pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank You so much for loving me. Today, I accept Your free gift. Thank You for making me a brand new creation. I have died with You, buried with You, and now I'm resurrected with You. Thank You, God, for for making me a new creature. Fill me right now with Your love and I push away the rejection of the world. In Jesus' mighty name. Why don't we give a round of applause for the people that have said that. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about Fire Church, head to our website, firechurch.com.au. And don't forget to connect with us on social media, on Instagram, fire.church, Facebook, Fire Church, and YouTube, Fire Church TV. Have a blessed week.